Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Uh, if you have a Bible, hopefully you do, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Um, if you don't, go ahead and pull out your app, uh, go over to Revelation. should be pretty easy to find, right? It's the last book of the Bible. Uh, and uh, we are starting... As Oscar said earlier, a brand new teaching series through the book of Revelation. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you guys, like, man, as we're going through this, this series, try to follow along either in the scriptures, uh, whether you brought a Bible with you or on your app. Uh, it's really important to us as a church family that, like, you see and understand that what we're, what we're teaching on, what we're expounding from up here is actually coming from the scriptures, we're going to get to really know, really get acquainted with uh, the book of Revelation. It's going to take us about a whole year. We're going to just take a, maybe like a few breaks uh, here and there later on in the summer uh, and then around Christmas time, but I'm pumped. Like, I love when we get to start a new book of the Bible. And most of you who have known about our plans to go through this book uh, have been pretty excited as well. Uh, maybe we could say intrigued, right? Like, there's a lot of weird stuff in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the book of Revelation. There's numbers, symbols, prophecies, all these promises about Israel, apocalyptic beasts that, that either, like, fall down from the heavens or rise up from the ground. And people who know what's in the book of Revelation tend to fall in, in one of two different categories, one, you either have an aversion to it, right? You try to avoid it because you find all of those things confusing, right? You avoid it because you find those things confusing, or maybe because you find people who are like actually really into the book of Revelation a little off-putting, right? I remember when the Lord of the, uh, the Rings movies came out, uh, people would like dress up as wizards and and dwarves and orcs and stuff. And I, I'd look at this, I'd see the lines like lining up outside of the movie theater and, and, and I'm like, man, that's strange, right? And look, if that's your thing, like more power to you. I'm not knocking that, that's just not my scene, right? That's not my scene. And so uh, I, I just kind of had this aversion to Lord of the Rings in general. I didn't read the books growing up as a kid. Uh, I, was, I was new to the story, but then I started reading articles about the books and about the movies. I started hearing stories quoted in sermons. I started talking to some of my friends who were really into the Lord of the Rings. And then I watched the movies for myself. And the next thing you know, I'm like crying. <laughs> I'm like crying watching these movies, realizing that they're just these beautiful, epic stories of good versus evil. Stories about humility and sacrifice in, in ways that, that have been seldom told before. Just the stuff that the deep things of life are made out of. And then I became a fan of the Lord of the Rings. Or maybe you're in this other camp where it's not that you have an aversion to the book, but you're actually like obsessed with it. 
right? You're obsessed with the contents of this book. Maybe you know people that have like all the charts and the graphs with all these like end times prophecy complexities. And some of you have wondered like, oh, are we going to do this book because of what's going on in the world right now? Right? Is that that must be why we're doing the book of Revelation because of what's going on in the world. We've got all these headlines about Israel and about the market and about the moral decline of our nation. And you're thinking, like, oh, we need this book because of all of this stuff that's going on. And look, if you're kind of in that camp with all the charts and stuff like that, I'm gonna tell you right now, like, this is gonna disappoint you. This is gonna disappoint you because we're gonna focus on what the book of Revelation actually focuses on, which is Jesus. Jesus, his victory, and the victory of his church. You see, the book of Revelation is part of the Holy Scriptures. It's part of God's word. This is God's word. Revelation is God's word. And what that means is that in every generation, Christians have needed this book, have benefited from this book. In every generation, the church of Jesus Christ has always needed, always needed this book, regardless of what the headlines are running at the time. And so my hope and my prayer throughout this series is that we, when I say we, like us as a church family, those of us in this room, those of us that are streaming online, that we as a church family, King's Cross Church, would fall into uh, maybe what we might call a third category, right? A third and, and better category, where we come just hungry for more of the real Jesus, where we come hungry for more of the real Jesus. When we, when we come to learn from this book, we come hungry for more of the real Jesus and we walk away each Lord's Day more hopeful. Hungry for more of his victory and power in our lives. Hungry for more community with one another. Hungry for an outpouring of the Spirit in us and through us for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors. That's my prayer. That we would come hungry for more of the real Jesus. That's what Revelation reveals. That's what it reveals for us, the real Jesus. And so I want us to be captivated by his beauty and glory as we walk through these chapters. I'm going to spend the rest of our time this afternoon talking about what this book, what the book of Revelation is, so that we can be sure of what it's not. Before we do that, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this book. When I say this book, Lord, I, I speak of the scriptures as a whole, this collection of stories and poems and prophecies and narratives that you've so intricately put together over the span of centuries, written by kings, and prophets written by those who are poor and those who are rich, written from people of different classes, different families, different perspectives. 
but all woven together to tell this united, wonderful, beautiful story of how Jesus came to fix all that is broken, to reconcile us sinners back with God and to make everything new. I pray, God, that this afternoon and in the months ahead that you would help us to be so captivated by the beauty and glory of the risen Christ, that we would see him, that we would savor that he is good and find ourselves satisfied in no one else and in nothing else. It's in his name, in Christ our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Here's the first point from the verses this afternoon. Number one, the book of Revelation is, in the fullest sense of the word, revelation. Mind-blowing, I know, right? But the book of Revelation is revelation. We're going baby steps here, all right? Look at verse one. Verse one says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Now, what is meant there when he uses that word revelation, when he introduces this letter as the revelation of Jesus Christ, what is meant by that word? What he means is that it is revealing something. This letter is revealing something that might otherwise seem hidden to us. Like literally, the word for revelation there in the Greek is apocalypsis, where we get the word apocalypse from, right? Now, apocalypse, when you think of that word, uh, it, it, that word to its original audience in the first century is actually a more inviting word than we tend to think, right? Apocalypse means like an unveiling. So think of apocalypse as less like a world-ending catastrophe, like Armageddon, and more like sort of the curtain pulling back. The word means opening up to pull the cover off, or more specifically, it means breaking through. So when you see the title of the book, The Revelation, what I want you to have is that description clear in your mind. I want you to have this description that the revelation of Jesus Christ is, in other words, the unveiling, the pulling back of the curtain, the opening up, the breaking through of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. And so look, if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, I want you to do a little exercise with me. Look at, look at all of verse 1 there. Look at all of verse 1 in uh, the first chapter. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He, speaking of Jesus, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, if you have a physical Bible or maybe on, on your app, I want you to highlight or underline the word revelation. And then the words, things that must soon take place. And then the words or the phrase made it known. All right? So that revelation, things that must soon take place, and then made it known. Now, the reason I want you to do that is because I want you to see how there's only one other time 
only one other time in all the scriptures where those three different phrases appear together. And that's in Daniel chapter 2. And this is significant because Revelation is filled with all kinds of Old Testament references. And this is the very first one. This is the first Old Testament reference. So that makes this a huge one. All right? Now some context. What's happening in Daniel chapter 2 is that Daniel is interpreting a dream for the Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar. All right? And he's, he's, uh, he's interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream uh, about, uh, like, like Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and Daniel's interpreting it and, and showing him how this, what his dream was about is something that's going to happen in the future. And so in Daniel chapter 2, that word apocalypsis is used like about five different times. That phrase, things that will soon take place in some form or another, is used three different times. And the phrase make known is also used a few times. So I want you to see this from Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2, verse 28, it says, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. This is Daniel speaking. He's, he's interpreting the dream. And he says, To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries, speaking of the Lord, made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And so look, Daniel right here, he's saying, look, Nebuchadnezzar, this, this dream that you had, it's gonna happen. It's gonna come to pass. And God, through me, is making this known to you. He's gonna explain to you your dream. And then Daniel, for the next several verses, begins to describe the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and he describes it like to a T. And Nebuchadnezzar's like blown away. He's like, whoa, how did you know this, right? And Daniel, or Daniel like describes this dream with all of the symbols that were Nebuchadnezzar's dream, images of, of stone and iron and clay and silver and gold. And Daniel then begins to interpret that dream and then he states the climax of that interpretation in verse 44, when Daniel says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, in other words, all the earthly kingdoms, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So look, in Daniel 2, God uses a dream or a vision to reveal, there's that word, right? To unveil the reality that one day, one day in the future, God is going to set up a kingdom that can never be destroyed. A kingdom that is unstoppable. A kingdom whose victory is unstoppable. Now, why is any of this significant? Because when we fast forward to the end of the scriptures, when John opens the book of Revelation, the first thing he points us to, 
by using these same phrases, the first thing he points us back to of all the places in the Bible is this place in Daniel 2, is the day that God revealed how his kingdom would be established and would never be destroyed. You see, that's John's way of saying, hey, look, this letter I'm writing, this book of Revelation is all about that. It's all about that kingdom, that kingdom that cannot be stopped. With all of its numbers and symbols and and visions, which throughout our series we will explain in time, God is unveiling, revealing the unstoppable victory of Christ and his church. God is making everything new through the ushering in of his kingdom. Everything wrong will be made right. Everyone that's been oppressed will be vindicated. There will be no more hunger, no more poverty, no more wars, no more disease, no more death. The beauty of God will be perfectly seen. It will be perfectly enjoyed. And it's breaking into reality right now. That's what John's saying. That kingdom is here right now. It's breaking in right now. That's what I mean when I say that the book of Revelation is a revelation in the fullest sense of the word. It is revealing the most beautiful and wonderful and awesome truth that the kingdom of God, the one thing that every human being truly longs for at the center of their being, is here. You can't stop it. Number two, the book of Revelation is a letter. It's a letter. What that means is that it's written to a very specific people in a very specific time who live in a very specific place. Read verse 1 again, and then I want you to continue on to verse 2. I'm back in Revelation chapter 1. All right, Revelation 1, verses 1 and 2 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So Jesus appears to John, reveals some things to John, John writes him down, and his job now is to send this, these writings, this letter, to all the churches in the region throughout Asia Minor. He sends this letter out to them, telling them everything that he's seen. And it's a letter that's meant to be received, that's meant to be read by this group of churches. And then I don't want you to miss what he says here in verse 3. He says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. So I want you to picture how the book of Revelation was originally received by its original people, its original recipients. First century churches, they'd they'd gather together for worship on the Lord's Day, just like we're doing right now, right? Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of difficulty, like they'd gather together for worship just like us this afternoon. And someone, usually one of the leaders in the church, would come up before the congregation and would read this letter out loud to them. 
Now, why does that matter? Because that tells us that this letter was written in a way that members of the church at the time would hear it and understand it and be able to live it out. They would be able to hear it and understand what was being said, and then they'd be able to apply it to their own lives and, as verse 3, keep what is written in it. So here's a basic Bible principle that I don't want you to miss when you're studying the Scriptures, that this book cannot mean to us what it did not mean for them, all right? Anytime you're trying to understand a passage of Scripture or a book of the Bible that you've never studied before, you need to understand that 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 book can't mean something for you. It can't mean something for us in the 21st century, what it could not mean and did not mean to them when they received it. Just in the last 100 years, we've seen Christians make this mistake. This basic Bible principle that they've not followed it and made this mistake over and over again. Amy McPherson, the founder of the Foursquare Church, around World War II, uh, she insisted that Japan was the Antichrist and that the United States of America was a chosen nation and that Jesus was going to come back and come for his people before the war was over. Didn't happen. Chuck Smith, done a lot of wonderful things for the Calvary Chapel movement in our region in Orange County, but in the beginning of his ministry, he was convinced that the world would end and that Jesus would come for his church by the end of 1981. He got thousands of people on this bandwagon believing that the world was going to end, that Jesus was going to return by the end of 1981. He wrote books about it. He wrote articles about it. Like a ton of people like gathered on, on New Year's Eve in 1981 and didn't happen. Today, we have people saying that Moderna and Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson are like the unholy trinity and that the vaccine is the mark of the beast. Right? I see some of you guys kind of smirking and laughing. Like you laugh, but how, how narcissistic and self-focused do we have to be to actually like read ourselves and our culture into the Bible, into a letter that was written originally for people 2,000 years ago? And how jacked up would Jesus have to be if what he revealed in a letter that was written for and received by seven churches in the first century if what he revealed to them had to do with a vaccine 2,000 years into the future. That'd be jacked up. See, if we want to know, if we really want to get to know the real Jesus, understand truly the book of Revelation, if we want to know how to apply the truths and the visions and the promises of this book to us in the 21st century, we need to know how to apply it to them in the first century. That's always how you do biblical exegesis. So then you might wonder, well, then why doesn't that seem to be good enough for us? Like, why can't we just listen to this book read out loud and understand it easily? Why don't we have all these different views on how to interpret it? And, and, and the answer is, is found in just like how we do the work of Bible study, right? That's actually the work of studying the Bible is because Because we're not members of the first century church, there are images 
and visions and writing styles that might have been easy for them to pick up on and understand, but are not so easy for us 2,000 years later. And so we got to do some work. That's like if 2,000 years from now, they found the lyrics to like one of Radiohead's albums, they'd be like, what is this, <laughs> right? Like it'd take a little bit of studying, wanting, trying to understand like our, our cultural context, it'd take a bit of work to figure it out, right? Or like when, when I got into rap in the sixth grade, <laughs> right? Like I got into rap for the first time, like, I was, like before that, like, for rap and hip-hop, I could never really understand what they were saying. Like, the cadence was too fast and all this stuff. And then, uh, like, I was in an R&B at the time. And so then, like, you know, like, whatever it was, like, 94, 95, like, TLC comes out with Waterfalls, right? And they've got that, that one, like, rap bridge. And I, like, memorized that thing, right? And all of a sudden, I, I could keep up with the cadence. And all of a sudden, like, I could understand the language. And then I could get into other songs of that same genre, It takes some work to figure out, to do the work of biblical exegesis. And we're going to do that work as we go throughout the book of Revelation to, to figure this out along the way. But here's what you need to know about the churches who received this letter. This letter was written in 96 AD, which was a year that Christians at the time had experienced over 30 years, three decades of intense persecution. Now, there's a sense into which, like, the church right away began to experience persecution with, like, the Pharisees and the religious elite of their day. But by, like, the 60s, 60 AD, they started to experience intense persecution by governmental powers. There was a tyrant ruling at the time named Nero, Nero launched the first wave of governmental persecution against Christians in 65 AD. Christians were blamed for things that they didn't commit just so that they could be punished, like separated from their families. They would be sometimes like dragged and, and dragged over to stakes and like they, they would actually hang Christians up on wooden stakes, light them on fire or feed their bodies to animals. Churches responded by digging into spiritual trenches. They'd rally together and they just continued to make disciples and plant churches, just trusting the Lord. But after a decade of that, in 70 AD, it was probably the darkest moment in the first century of persecution. Jerusalem was burned down. And in that year, and just in the span of that one year, Peter, Paul, Timothy and a lot of their protégés and disciples were all executed before the general public. I mean, you're talking like Peter the Apostle, Paul, like the, the OG church planter who, who trained all those pastors with all and wrote like half, more than half of the New Testament. We're talking about Timothy, his protégé. They were all publicly executed in 70 AD. A couple decades after that, a leader by the name of Domitian, he becomes emperor and he demands worship. Like if anybody had the means to, they would make you travel uh, into, uh, into the temple square and then you would have to make this offering and then you would have to, to say, Caesar is Lord. You'd have to call him Lord. 
There are all kinds of laws that, that were in, uh, initiated at the time that said that if you don't renounce your faith, that if you refuse to say Caesar is Lord, then you would suffer to the fullest extent. Oftentimes that would mean that you'd be crucified yourself. That's the context that this letter, Revelation, is written to. I want you to picture that. Imagine what life must have been like for these Christians who are receiving this letter that we call the book of Revelation. I mean, what they're experiencing is real persecution. Year after year after year for 30 years, it just gets worse and worse. 30 years, that means Christians that were born into, that children that were born into Christian homes at the time, like this was all that they knew. This was all they knew of their Christianity. That what it meant to be Christian was to be poor and hounded and mocked, hurt, misrepresented in the culture. To be a Christian was to put your life on the line. Just imagine what it must have been like for them. Like the temptation to just give up, throw in the towel, and say, hey, man, this Christianity thing is just too hard. Like, like that temptation to just throw in the towel must have been overwhelming. The temptation to just enjoy the pleasures of Rome and say, all right, I'll say it. I'll say Caesar's Lord if you leave me alone. The temptation to just enjoy peace with others, not be misrepresented, not be hated, must have been overwhelming. And yet they receive this letter whose message encourages them to hold fast. Hold fast. And look, I know it feels like losing, but you're winning. Jesus is victorious and you are victorious by virtue of your faith in him. And history tells us that that, that first century church in response to this letter they received, they bled courageous endurance in the face of that persecution. So look, if you, if you want to know what this book should mean for us, you need to know what it meant for them. Christians in the West last year were asked to wear a mask at Target and call that persecution. That's an embarrassment. Like these Christians in the first century would go, seriously? Have you lost your mind? At most, you had your comforts infringed upon, maybe even your liberty infringed upon, which, which I mean, there's something to be said about that, right? If that's, your, if that's your view. But that's not persecution the way that they experienced it. And yet, if we do understand what it meant for them, then we know what it can mean for us today. And so it helps us to understand that this was a letter written to a people that inhabited a place in a specific time in history. Number three, the book of Revelation is filled with prophecy. It's filled with prophecy. Look at verse three again. 
Verse 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. What that tells us is that there is a prophetic nature to this book too. All right, now what does that mean for it to have a prophetic nature? That prophecies are revelations of God's nature and purposes. That's what a prophecy is. It's God revealing something about his nature, revealing something about his purposes. That's why we have books like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and all these other Old Testament prophetic books that are alluded to all throughout Revelation. This book is the same genre of biblical literature. Revelation is the same genre as those Old Testament prophet books. And so there's a greater sense in which Revelation can be considered sort of like the pinnacle of prophecy. And that's because all the Old Testament prophets, what they would say is the kingdom is coming, right? Have hope because the kingdom is going to come. It's going to break into history. But the message of Revelation is that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom has already come. It's already here. And it's being completed right now. You're living. You're living that. And here's the thing about prophetic revelation. Prophetic revelation helps us understand today in light of the future and it helps us understand what's happening sort of behind the scenes today. Sort of the invisible spiritual realities going on all around us that we, we don't so easily see. In other words, part of what Revelation tells us is that Things are not what they seem. <coughs> things are not what they seem. Now, we need to be reminded that. We need it. We need this prophetic word in our day. Because see, look, Christians in, in the West are embarrassingly comfortable compared to Christians throughout the world, even right now and Christians throughout history. That includes us, right? We talked about this a few months ago with the lukewarm church. Like life in Orange County is great, right? I'm not knocking it, I love it. That's why I live here, that's why I wanna raise my family here. It's great, but it can be dangerous for the Christian. Because the comforts of this world, which we're chock full of where we live, the comforts of this world, they can suffocate us. They can suffocate our Christianity to where Jesus is like, he's important to us, but he's just like one important thing attached somewhere on this list of other important things. But he's not, he's not life to us. He's not everything to us. He's not the center of it all to us because we're just comfortable. But, but if you heed the visions, the dreams, the promises, the unveilings of revelation, if you live in light of the invisible realities of the kingdom of God going on around you, which can only happen by it being revealed in the word and by the spirit, if you live in light of the invisible realities going around you, that, 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 that the kingdom is here right now, 
that is expanding all around you and throughout generations, then that changes everything for the Christian. That changes everything. Like, we would be a people that actually live out the word of God. Like the Bible says, like, we wouldn't be concerned about more than just knowing the word. We would actually want to live it out. When you're awake to the realities of God and his kingdom, you'll believe big things about what God can do. You'll read big things that he does in the scriptures, big things that he promises, and you'll say, yeah, I believe that. I believe that. When our church is threatened to close, if our giving doesn't increase, or if we don't find a new place to gather, when we see our neighbors or neighborhoods are filled with people without the eternal hope of Christ, when a baby in our church is suffering a rare disease, we'll do what we did last, last time. We'll link arms and pummel hell with our prayers to heaven. Because we believe that God can work. Man, I don't know if you heard an update from the Wright family, but it seems like God is answering those prayers. And at least for right now, like they've, they've turned back baby Jane's uh, diagnosis. Man, when we see the kingdom, when we believe that God is at work in us and around us and through us, that changes the way you live, it changes the way you pray. And when our prayers go unanswered and we suffer death and cancer and loss of job, we'll endure with Christian hope knowing that this world is not our home and that death is not the end. When we believe the big things of God, when we see the kingdom at work around us, the invisible realities, we'll be on fire with evangelistic zeal. Like what if you actually believed that Jesus could save your lost neighbor? What if you actually believe that Jesus could save your prodigal child? What if you actually believe that the resources you invest into the kingdom, that you invest into the church, will return in a yield that echoes into eternity? What if you actually believe that God could change the legacy of your family from lazy apathy to spiritual vitality. That would change things, wouldn't it? You see, this is what, this is what I want to close with in these verses. I want you to consider how the book of Revelation, how it's an unveiling, it's a letter, it is prophecy, I want you to consider why this book was written to the first century church and preserved for us as God's word. All right, here's why this book was written. First, it was written to give us an unshakable hope, an unshakable hope for suffering Christians in the here and now. John's writing to Christian brothers and sister, sisters who are suffering immensely and they're feeling like the world is falling apart all around them. Christians are losing their lives and they're wondering, what is happening? Where is God in all this? Does God see us? Does he see what's happening? Does he care? And God says to them through this book, 
things are not what they seem. There's a bigger war going on behind the scenes. There's a bigger battle being waged, and the victory is already won. And in Christ, you, Christian, are on the winning side. You're on the winning side. This is where I want you to see the beauty of this book in, in your own life. Revelation is written to tell every suffering Christian, every Christian going through hard things, in this room and across time, that Jesus is in control. Jesus Christ is in control. His sovereignty cannot be thwarted. He has conquered all. And yes, he does see your tears. He does hear your prayers. And one day soon, the one who has already con conquered all will return and wipe every tear from your eye. He'll remove every hurt and every pain and everything will be made new, unbreakable, unstoppable, and beautiful. This book was also written to encourage unwavering holiness in the midst of an alluring culture. Do you think these Christians were tempted to give up and turn from Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel that temptation in myself. I didn't even, I'm, I'm not even going through the hard stuff that they went through, right? They were tempted to compromise their faith for the comforts of the culture. They were tempted to ignore the mission of God for the allure of, of more comfort, more peace, more stuff more earthly pleasures. So that's why several times in Revelation, over and over and over again, they're called to holiness. They're called to keep the faith. They're called back to obedience. And it's filled, it's filled. Revelation is filled with promises of blessing for those that are faithful. <laughs> this is interesting. Revelation is the only book that actually opens with a promise and ends with a warning if you don't live in light of that promise. It's the only book in all the scriptures that opens with a promise and ends with a warning. Revelation 1 verse 3, right in the first paragraph of this book, we read it a moment ago. It says, blessed, this is a promise, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear like us Blessed are those who hear, again, this is a promise, blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Then you go to the last chapter of Revelation, Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19. This is the last paragraph of the book. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. 
And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. The only book that opens with a promise and ends with a warning. God wants to encourage us in unwavering holiness through the book of Revelation. And lastly, the book was written to fuel evangelism at home, in our neighborhoods, and missions abroad. It was written to fuel evangelism at home and missions abroad. All throughout this book, there are repeated pictures of God's glory, not only being exalted among the people of Israel, but among all nations. Among all nations, all tribes, all tongues. This book is about a group of people that are chosen, elected from every corner of the planet. God strengthening his church, not just so that they can be protected for themselves, but so that they can thrive in their mission towards others. Man, as we go through this book, I want you to be thinking about the people that you know without the hope of Christ. There are people in your neighborhood, people in your family, people in your workplace, people across the world that need the hope of the gospel. They need the hope of the gospel. And God has called them. We just need to be obedient as sent ones to share the gospel with them so that they will stand with us so that they will stand with God's church on the last day and not be destroyed. But for these things to happen, for these things to happen, for us to have an unshakable hope, an unwavering holiness, and a fueled missional life, we need to see a big picture of God's greatness, a huge picture of God's greatness, and a glorious picture of God's gospel. We're going to be spending the greater part of this next year doing just that in the book of Revelation, seeing a huge picture of our God, seeing a glorious picture of his gospel as we walk through our study on the mysterious, mystifying, sometimes confusing, but I think you'll be surprised, extremely practical and very hopeful book of Revelation as we get a greater and greater glimpse of the unstoppable victory of Christ and his church. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.